Yeah, it's Palm Sunday, and um, it's a Sunday that is really interesting because, uh, one, I still don't think we really get why Jesus was coming in and what that really meant for everybody and uh, what that meant for the world. Uh, sometimes I think we still struggle uh, comprehending all of the impact that that's had on the world and on our own individual lives. And for us to really understand more of what it means, I, I want us to go to Luke chapter 19 today, but not where you may think. Luke chapter 19, I'm going to invite that you open up the Word of God with me. Uh, if you need a Bible, there's some on the end of some of the rows. If you don't have a Bible, take one, and it's a gift from us to you. I'd love for you to better keep that. But Luke chapter 19, even if it's on your phone, whatever it may be. Um, as we look at this, we're, I actually want to go back to the, te- the parable that he was telling just before he enters the city. Because you've got to remember, it is Passover, and so everybody knows where he's going. Everybody knows that he's going to Passover, right? He's Jewish, and he's going to Passover. He's going to go to Jerusalem, and he's going there. And especially at this time, after he's had a few years, really in the, the sweet spot of the ministry that we think of in terms of his beginning of the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus has had a few years now, and, and people are expecting something really marvelous, something spectacular. And he tells this final parable to them in the Gospel of Luke. And it's the parable of the ten minas. Now, I got, and you can tell you, people think about this parable, and mine, mine is also a pound. It depends on the version and translation that you have. So he's telling this parable, and I'm going to give you a brief description of everything that's happening in this parable first because I think it's that important. Because as confused as they were, Jesus is actually giving them all the answers to the test before they ever have to take the test. You ever, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you ever have those teachers who say, hey, as long as you read page 8, 12, 15, 22, and 27, you'll be fine, and then you don't do it, and you wonder why you flunk, right? They kind of give you the answers. You have to prepare for it, but you, you don't really prepare for it. Well, he's giving them all the answers. He's telling them, especially in this parable, really what's going to be happening. Now, don't confuse this with the parable of talents. Jesus tells us over 40 parables, and he uses these to help us understand and to grasp who he is and all that he was really doing in his life. And to really teach some important principles and life lessons for individuals. But as he's doing it, some people think about the parable of the talents and they get it confused. They're not the same. They're very similar. But I'll give you a couple of differences right now. The parable of the talents, which is Matthew chapter 25. We're in Luke 19, the parable of the ten minas or ten pounds. Um, As we look at this... One, the parable of the talents, he's speaking specifically to the disciples. And as he's the, 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 the king of that time in the parable, he's giving everybody a different amount of money. Well, in the, this parable here in Luke chapter 19, he's speaking to a large crowd. And he actually gives everybody the same amount of money. And so there are some, some differences there. So uh, we can learn there's some similar principles. But when you look at it, don't get confused with Matthew chapter 25. In Luke chapter 19, he walks into this parable, and as he does so, he, he's proceeding, he's moving. It tells us in verse 11 and following that he's moving to Jerusalem, and he proceeded to tell them this parable. And as he's telling them this parable, um, he knows the importance of it because it tells us, it says, because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now, I just told you, they understand he's going to Passover, and they're wanting Jesus to come and to bring a new kingdom. And when I say kingdom, they're wanting a truly a new earthly kingdom because they want God, they want Christ 
to get rid of the Romans. There was this huge Roman oppression, and that was the meaning of them waving the palm branches and calling out Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us. That's the reason for doing it. They want to get rid of the Roman oppression. And so here they are. They think that all of a sudden God's just going to appear immediately, and he tells them this. As they're thinking about such things, he jumps into this parable, and he lets them know, hey, there's a nobleman, and this nobleman you need to know right now is Jesus. He goes into a distant country to receive for himself a kingdom. Now, that was normal practice. They allowed people to have different kingdoms within the Roman Empire. As long as they still collected taxes, etc., they sent those monies to Rome. Uh, They still kind of oversaw that area. Okay, and so they allowed this. And so that's exactly what this king or this guy, this nobleman is going to do. So he calls 10 of his servants and he gives them 10 minus, 10 pounds. And he says to them, engage in business until I come. But it says his citizens hated him. And so they sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. Now, here you go. Here's this nobleman, Jesus, who's going to go to another distant country, and he's going to receive a kingship, but they don't want this guy to be the nobleman, to be king, and so they send a bunch of people to protest it. Does it sound anything like the United States of America every four years, right? And there's all these protests. We don't want this guy to, we believe in democracy, but even when the democracy votes, we have a hissy fit about whoever we voted for. It's every four years. Don't make it this big political Republican Democrat thing. It's just always the case. And so here, that very same thing is happening. They're sending a bunch of people ahead to say, hey, listen, we don't want this guy to be king, but he's going to be king. And he says, I want to give you these, this money, and I want you to engage in business until I return. Well, when he returns, he, re- he received the kingdom, of course. And I'll go ahead and tell you this. Of course, this is Jesus. Listen, whether you want Jesus Christ to be king or not, Jesus Christ is king. There's nothing that you can do to prevent that. Jesus Christ is king. And so he receives his kingship. He returns. And he calls all these servants together that he gives us money to. Because he wants to know what they have gained. What he has gained by doing business. This is verse 15. He wants to know how the kingdom has grown in the midst of him leaving. And now he's going to return. Now, again, this is Jesus. He's letting them know, I'm going to have to leave. I'm going to have to leave for a while, but then I'm going to return. And what you do between now and then is of crucial importance. That's what he's communicating in this parable. So he calls. The first one comes in. I'll go ahead and let you know, hey, listen, I had, um, I've made 10 with the one that you gave me with your mina. I've made 10 more. So he says, well done, good servant. He says, make them and put them in charge of 10 cities. Another guy comes in, he goes, I've made five. He goes, great, good job. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'll make you, I'll put you in charge of five. And then the next one comes up and he goes, listen, you're a hard man. And I'm scared of you, basically. And so what what I did, and it tells us this so clearly. He says, "I, I took it and I laid it away in a handkerchief. Because I was afraid of you, because you were a severe man. You did, you take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. Verse uh, 22, he says to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. So why did you not put my money in the bank? At least earn some interest. 
And he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him, give it to the one who has ten. They said to him, Lord, he already has ten. And he says, listen, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, the ones who didn't do anything with what he had given to them, and the ones who hated him, didn't want him to be king, with these guys, he says, bring them before me. And he slaughtered them. He executed them. So this is the parable that he's telling right before his entrance into Jerusalem. He's letting them know, hey, listen, this is what it's really going to be about. Get your ducks in a row. Make sure that you hear what I'm trying to communicate. This is what's happening. But, of course, they're not listening very well. But he's helping them right before his entrance. They know it's Passover. They know he's going to Jerusalem. And he's saying, listen, you need to understand, I'm going to have to leave for a while. And what you do with what I'm leaving you before my return matters. It matters. And so he's walking through this because as he's doing it, he says, put this money to work. What? Until I come back. He's like, get a return on it. Get some usefulness from it. It's like having this vast wealth, this vast strength, this vast power, and never utilizing it, never tapping into it. He already knows. He's told them over and over again, listen, this is what I'm going to be doing. And so here he is. This man is coming back, and he he, he confronts these individuals, these servants who don't want him to be king. And the problem is that they, they were refusing to acknowledge his kingship. They were refusing to acknowledge his kingship. Now, to, to kind of expand upon this even more, if you go back, that's in Luke chapter 19. If you go back to Luke chapter 18... It's it's really astounding that they don't understand everything because for the third time, he starts to speak of his own death. Luke 18, 32 and 33, he says, For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, he's speaking about himself, and he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day, he will rise. So he keeps telling them on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. He's reminding them these are, these are all the events that need to unfold. And yet they're still struggling with it. They're still having a hard time. And of course, some of them do nothing with all that they've really been given. Luke 19, as he's telling this parable, he's letting them know, especially in verse, even in verse 11, he's like, listen, guys. The kingdom's not going to appear immediately. I'm going to leave for a while. And what you do with the love that you have for me matters until my return. That's a very simple way of thinking about this parable. And it does help us understand the picture that is then painted when he enters Jerusalem for the very last time. He's entering Jerusalem for the very last time. I read it to you previously, and he sends some disciples to go ahead of him to the village, get this colt that's never been ridden before. Imagine that. Here, do this with your faith. Go get a colt that's never been ridden before and jump on it. 
Like, we ignore that part. It's never been written before. Go get it. Bring it back to me. And as he's being ushered in, in Mark chapter 11, we know that we see the palm branches being waved in Mark chapter 11. We don't find that in Luke chapter 19. But we know that they're waving these palm branches. They're putting them on the road. And they're just making a big hoorah out of the fact that Jesus is coming back because they're wanting freedom from Roman oppression. And so here he is into his entry into Jerusalem. And it says, once again, verse 37 of chapter 19 and following. He says the following. He says, as he was drawing near, already on the way down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples, they began to rejoice, to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Peace in heaven in heaven. Peace in heaven. Now, it was loud. You see, it's Passover, and so people are coming from everywhere. You're looking at four to five times more people in that space than normal, right? Imagine that. People are all over the place, and they're getting into this. They're, they're jumping up and down, and they truly, you go back to the Old Testament, they thought that this was similar to a celebration of the Harvest Festival, and all of a sudden they're waving these palm branches, and they're declaring Hosanna, which means save us. Now, they were wanting saving from the wrong thing. The thing is, they didn't recognize that they themselves personally needed to be saved. They wanted to be saved from others. There's a difference, isn't there? They wanted to be saved from others. They didn't recognize they needed to be saved, and yet that's why Jesus Christ came. They wanted to be saved from that Roman oppression. And so here they are, and they're coming. And they're calling out, and they're waving these branches. And in the midst of all this noise and all this ruckus, it then tells us that the Pharisees, who were amongst the people, amongst the crowd, they spoke up. It says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now, knowing it's this noisy and this is so loud, you know they're really screaming. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Like they're having to yell big time. Like, think about being in a big crowd of people. Maybe it's a Michigan game, Michigan State game, whatever it is, and you're there and it's loud and you're talking to your neighbor, like, hey, let's go get a beverage, and they're like, what? Let's get something to drink. You ever been there before? Like maybe at a concert, and you have to do that, and then you go outside, and you're still yelling, and you have to tell them you don't have to yell right now? Like they're yelling, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And all of a sudden, what I, what I envision happening is because they yelled out above the crowd, I picture everything kind of getting quiet all of a sudden. You know that person who really stands out from the crowd? Like for us, it's always one of our youngest children. Like because it's noisy in my house. I wear earplugs every day. All right? Not really. But like it gets noisy. I'm like, guys, tone it down a little bit. Pull it back. And they get loud. You know? And you're just like, oh, my goodness. And the one who stands out, everybody looks at it. And sometimes you look at the one who's so loud. You're like, whoa. What? What do you want? What do you want? And... Here's the Pharisees, and I think all of a sudden people looked at them like, whoa. Like, we're all celebrating, calling out Hosanna, Hosanna, right reason or wrong reason. We're all celebrating, calling out Hosanna, Hosanna, and all of a sudden we hear this voice that's coming out over everybody that says, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus, I just see it stopping. 
And he looks at him and he says, listen, guys, even if I told him to be quiet, the stones would cry out. You want to know why? Because, and he doesn't say this, but this is what he's communicating. Because I'm creator and I made them. And my creation will worship me. You can't muzzle it. You can't contain it. You can't confine it. And he starts, he just lets them know. And then it, just, it keeps going and it tells us he draws near to the city. And this, this is so crucial. Go to Luke chapter 19, verse 41. He says he draws near to the city and he comes and what's he do? He weeps over it. Now this is why Holy Week is so tumultuous inside for me. Like it's just this battle. Because it's Holy Week, and so we know what's coming, and the people, they don't get it. They're waving the palm branches for the wrong reason. And he comes up, and he sees the city, and he begins to weep over it. Why? Because he knew that the masses didn't even really want him to be king. Go back to the parable. The masses, the majority of people, they were even sending, sending delegations ahead saying, make sure he's not king. And that's what he knows when he looks at the people of Jerusalem, when he looks at all these people who are cheering and shouting out Hosanna, waving the palm branches, he knows that they don't really want him as king. You see, that's the struggle that we have today. Most people only want Jesus to be a helper. And Jesus Christ is more than a helper. He is the king of kings. We don't think that we need to be saved. We want everybody else to be saved. I just came back this last week, and I want to thank you guys. You guys give me so much freedom, and I really appreciate it. Um, this last weekend, we threw a 50th wedding anniversary for my parents in North Carolina. Um, the following day, last Sunday, I was actually at this time preaching. If you remember Pastor Chevy, I was actually able to preach at his church and do some leadership with his deacons and other people. So it was a lot of fun. Thank you for giving me that freedom. Uh, to be able to do that. We obviously have some great people around here, Pastor Luke, Pastor Jim, who preach as well, and so it's just really good. But I'm there, and as I'm with my family, we had aunts and uncles and cousins and people from like eight, nine different states coming in, flying in, surprising my parents. But here's what I learned about family, and I know a lot of you have family in this area, but it sure is nice, because I've never lived anywhere near family since I had my oldest when he was like six months old. We moved away, and we haven't been near him since, really. It's so cool when you can just like drop off your kids and say, see you later, right? Like you can be like, hey, can you pick up the kids from soccer? Or hey, I've got a sick kid today and I still have to work. Can you come take care of the kid? And I don't know if any of you have ever done that before, but you, it's nice having those helpers, isn't it? It's nice. Listen, God knew what he was doing when he made grandparents. Hallelujah. Right, because they're an amazing help for us, and they help do this, and they help do that, and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But here's the struggle that we have, is most of us want Jesus to be the same way. We want Jesus to be a helper, where when we need help, hey, can you watch the kids for a moment, or hey, can you run them to soccer, or hey, can you change the diaper, or hey, whatever it is, right? That's what I would do. Every single time, I'd call my parents up. If they lived nearby when I had babies, I'd be like, can you come over? Why? Change the diaper. That's it. Change it, they can go back home, right? We just want help. 
And the struggle that we're having is that that's what these people wanted. They just wanted some help, but they didn't want a king. They didn't want a king. They just wanted somebody to come in and help them. And there's a great difference between knowing Jesus as a helper, but also knowing him as a savior, as a Lord, as God. And they're waving the palm branch because they just wanted a helper. Save us from Roman oppression, please. Get rid of them so that we can live the life that we really want to live. And so they're struggling with this. Because he knew that the majority, he was going to give them this amazing gift. And when he left, they weren't going to do anything with it. They were going to take it and they were going to put it in a handkerchief. And that's why, guys, that's why in verse 40, 41, all of a sudden Jesus is walking up and he's coming into Jerusalem and he sees it and he begins to weep. That's why he's weeping because he knows that most people won't do anything with what he's given them. They're going to put it in a handkerchief. I mean, we can't even wave palm branches today without feeling awkward. And so he's coming up over the city and he begins to weep for them because he's hurting for them because even he knows that they think they're in the clear and they're not because it tells us in verse 27, Luke chapter 19, what happens. He calls them all together and he has them executed because they did nothing with what he gave. That's powerful. You better know if you're waving the palm branch and you better know if you're seeing him as the right king that he is. And so here he's coming in and he's, it's the, the big question is very simple. What are you doing with your faith? Are you taking it and putting it in a handkerchief? Because it's Palm Sunday and if, you got, if you're coming to jump up and down and you want to make sure that everybody understands why you're here, because it's Palm Sunday, and so you're coming to church on Holy Week. Listen, guys, you, got to, you need to come early next week. It's Easter. It's going to be slammed full. There's lots of empty chairs right now, though. As a disciple, you need to know, as a disciple, I love Easter. As a pastor, not so much. And before you judge me on saying that, hear me out. As a disciple, I love Easter. But as a pastor, not so much. Why? Because literally, I've got, I've got praise team, and I've got people, they're helping to organize all this, amazing people working here, and their praise team is going to be parking, and we've got elders and the staff and everybody. We've got to park at the school down the street just to have enough parking. And basically, what I need to do is I need to make sure people are coming in, and what our job is is we need to make sure Man, they need to know that we've got stuff for their kids and for the women and for the men, and we just want to serve them. And really, pastors all throughout America, they're going, if just maybe they'll come back. Listen, friends, God doesn't need you. Don't think you're gracing the doors of the church because you showed up and you've blessed God. God doesn't need you. You need him. He doesn't need you. 
That's why he's weeping because he knew they're waving the branches for the wrong reason. And he's not, he's not crying. And you know they're looking at him. And they're all jumping up and down, waving the palm branches. And they're going, why is he crying? And inside his heart, he's going, they don't know me. I mean, this isn't a time where being a Christian wasn't even, it's not even a thought, really. Like, it was like, man, if you're a Christian, you're going to be persecuted for it. And if we do anything that's uncomfortable, we're like, wait a second, you moved my chair. Earlier in the, I don't even know if he said it in the first service, I mean, the second service, in the first service, Pastor Nathan was speaking. He's like, how would you worship differently if Jesus was physically here today? Isn't that a great question? I'll go ahead and tell you. Like, if he was sitting right here on the front, front row, and that chair on the end, if you're like all trying to get around them, I'd push you out of the way. I'd have no problem with it. Because I just want to be near them, right? Like, I wouldn't push you hard, but you'd be moved. Because I want to be near Jesus, right? I just want to be close to him. And listen, he is still here. That's called the power of Holy Spirit. Amen. Of course, the little... Some guy thought he was smart after the first service. He came, wouldn't you ask him to come preach? <laughs> like, yes, yeah, fine, I'd sit down. Like, we need to ask ourselves, are we really worshiping God with spirit and truth? And do we understand why he's really come? Because he's entering the city. Listen, guys, we should be looking at our friends and our neighbors and our hearts breaking for them if they don't know Jesus Christ. That's why he's weeping when the God of creation, when the Son of God, when the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings is crying. I want to know why he's crying. And he's weeping because they didn't get it. So what happens when you do get it? What happens when you really start to grasp, when you start to understand the fullness of who Jesus really is, and that you actually want him for more than a helper, you want him as your savior? I'm going to run through three things very quick with you, and I'm even give you some how-tos this week, some things that you can really kind of walk away with. What does God expect? And here's the first thing I want to, if you really understand Jesus coming in, and he's coming into your own life, and you're waving the palm branches, not because you need freedom from oppression, and you want saving for everybody else, but because you're saying, save me, O Lord. The very first thing that I want to encourage you to do is you need to embrace your faith. You need to embrace your faith. You need to embrace your faith. You need to call it out. That's how we do it. You call it out, you wave your palm branches, and you make decisions grounded in Christ. And one of the greatest ways that we can embrace our faith is even in the midst of hardship and when things are most difficult is when you wave the palm branch even higher. You embrace your faith. You see, that's the reason so many people turn against God. So many people turn against God in the midst of hardship. Maybe you lose a brother or a sister or a mom or a dad. Or maybe you've lost a dear friend or you've lost a job. And you, you get angry toward God. And the reason you get angry toward God is because you've only seen him as your helper. To do what you need. You call him up when you need something. Hey, ma. Hey, dad. Will you come take care of my kids? i got to go to work and they're sick. 
You, you, you see Jesus, you see God as this helper that you just call when you need something. And so when you only have seen him as a helper to do what you need done whenever you need done, and all of a sudden that thing doesn't get done, you're going to get upset with the helper. Right? If I leave my house and I look at my kids and I say, guys, I need you to clean your room before I get back. we got people coming over. And all they've done when I return is just shut their door. Right? And I get upset with them. You're not listening to me. You're not obeying. It's because I'm not looking at them as a savior. They're not my savior. I'm just seeing that they need to help me out. Cut the grass. Do the laundry. Whatever it is. That's why we get so upset with God. Because we don't see him as our savior. We see him as a helper. We need to see God as the savior that he is. You need saving. God doesn't need you. You need him. And so we need to embrace our faith. And one of the greatest ways that we can embrace our faith is when times get difficult, you raise the palm branch even higher. Because you know that no matter what this world drops in your lap, he is greater. So we need to embrace our faith. The second thing that we need to be able to do is we need to be able to nurture our faith. We need to to nurture our faith. I love that word. You could replace that word if you want to with mature. Um, But we need to nurture our faith. We need to cultivate it. We need to make it stronger. Right? We do that in every other way. When you have a kid, you give them certain foods so that they can grow strong. And they want to make sure that they're growing physically and mentally and emotionally and all these different ways. And you feed them because you want to help them grow and to be nurtured. Well, we need to nurture our faith. And I don't know about you. Sometimes... I know I'm a pastor, but sometimes I just don't even really want to pray. Like, I'll get in a a spiritually dry place, and I don't feel like praying. I don't even feel like reading the Word of God. Um, And here's the one thing that I always do that helps to nurture my faith is I pray Scripture. Now, if you would get a pen, get a pencil. If you're not already taking notes, that's okay. But right now, if you would just write these, I want to give you some very specific passages of Scripture that you can pray. Because sometimes you don't even know what to pray. But it's a beauty when you start to pray scripture because it just, there's a purity and a, and a love to it that's really empowering. All right, so one of the passages I would encourage you is Ephesians chapter 3. If you need passages of scripture to pray, because you don't know what to pray, you need to be stimulated, you need to kind of know, you need, you need to see God. Uh, one of the passages I would tell you, Ephesians chapter 3, and I would even narrow it down. Um, Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. An amazing passage. Many of you already know it. Hopefully, if not, you can go and explore But pray it. Just say, God, I want to pray this. And you pray those words. Another one would be Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11. A great passage to be able to, to jump into and to be able to go and pray. Um, a last one I would give you is one that uh, is, is truly just remarkable. Uh, Romans 12, 1 through 5. Romans 12, 1 through 5. And I'm giving you portions of Scripture, not even entire chapters, because if you've never done it before, it's a great place to be able to start. It's a great place to be able to start, to, to dive into this and to pray these passages of Scripture. So we need to embrace our faith, but we also need to nurture our faith. And one of the ways you can do that is by praying the Word of God. A big question. <laughs> I'll give you a quick example. So I went down to my, my parents' house this last week. And my father, um, he collects a lot of different things. He collects train tra- like trains and um, he collects knives, like pocket knives. And 
He collects all, lanterns and a little bit of everything. So I'm going there, and he's like, hey, do you want any of this stuff? I'm like, no, 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 I don't. And then I go, oh, wait, but there is something I, I would like to have. Whatever you need, son. I'm like, great. I need some kindling. Now, you know what kindling is? And you got to say it just like that, kindling. You know what kindling is? Everybody say kindling. You didn't say it right. So um, it's, it's pine, and it's been, it's like the, 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 the trunk or the stump of a tree, a pine tree that's been in the ground for decades and decades, and because of the, the sap and everything in it, it's great for starting fires. Like you put a, a match to it or a lighter to it, and right away it just starts to burn so clean and so pure. So I was like, I need some. Do you have enough to spare? And it was like, well, I mean, your brother likes to use it to start his, his fires. And I'm like, ah, you like me more. He goes, fine, you're going to have some. And so I went back there. I started getting some kindling. And it's, it's just, it burns so easily and so cleanly. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we're at the fire pit here uh, in our backyard, and I'm trying to start a fire, and I'm using cardboard, and I just couldn't get it go. You can make fun of me if you'd like to. I don't care. I was not a Boy Scout. Um, I quit when I was a Cub Scout. Um, and so I, I couldn't get it to get going. And yesterday, I looked at my son. I said, hey, start a fire. Grab some kindling. And so he grabbed it, started it right away. He's like, see, that's how you do it. And so I grounded him for life. And... I look at it, and I go, you know, it made it so much easier. When you start to pray scripture, the reason I tell you that story is when you start to pray scripture, that's kind of what it does in your life. It's just cleaner. Like everything, it, it burns easier. Because what I've done when I start to pray scripture is I remove me from the equation. And it's not wrong to pray about what you're wanting God to do in your life. I'm not saying that. But it's so refreshing to take you out of the equation sometimes and to leave God front and center by himself and just to pray scripture. That's what it does to nurture your faith. A final thing that he wants us to do, he wants us to embrace our faith, to nurture your faith, but he also wants us to share our faith. Jesus expects you to share your faith. He expects you to take some risk. And one of the reasons I think people today don't share their faith anymore is because we don't like taking risk. And we certainly don't like denial or being rejected. And so we just don't say anything at all. We need to learn to take some risk. We live in a culture, we live in a society that plays everything safe. It doesn't matter what it is. We just don't, we can't get hurt. We can't get hurt. When I was a little kid, my brother and I, we took the... the the big picnic table that my father had constructed and he, he put it up on that side and he took one of the side benches and he put the side bench up underneath the legs of one end and he put an old red wagon on top of it and he told me, my brother looked at me, he was three years old, he said, get in. And being smart like I am, I looked at him, I said, okay. And so I said, just hold on real quick. And I went inside, I grabbed a pillow and I strapped it to my tush and I got up on a wagon and I was taken to the ER to repair my head. Now, you would think that I would care more about this than I do this, but I just didn't know any better. Busted the head. We, even then, we wanted to wear this pillow because I wanted to protect something. We always want to play everything safe. Right? Today, we play everything safe. It doesn't matter what it is. We've got to make sure we're safe with our investments. We've got to make sure that we're safe in how we share our faith with people. We've got to make sure that our kids are safe no matter what they're doing. And we want to make sure they're always safe. Like if they run to another neighbor's house, yesterday I couldn't find my youngest child. They're like, where's Bennett? I'm like, I don't care, right? Until I had a neighbor come over and said, um, <laughs> he actually was going to the restroom in the yard. Um, that was a bad day, bad day, bad boy. Um, 
I'm from the South. This is what we do. There's your joke. So, you know, like we just want everything to be played safe. Car seats today. Like when I was growing up, a car seat was getting in the car. And what you would do is you would sleep on the top above the seat. You take your shirt off so you could get a suntan as you went down the road. Right? You know what I'm talking about? And now car seats are like the size of lazy boys. They don't even fit in your car anymore. I guess we're so, and that's, that's, it's filtrated into the way that we do everything. And we always want to play it safe. Guys, we need to understand that Jesus has come for us to save us. We need saving. And if you recognize and understand that you need to be saved and that Jesus Christ has done that, you want to share that with other people. So we need to embrace our faith. We need to nurture our faith, but we also need to share our faith. The way you can share your faith, the practicality of it, is I tell you this all the time, is start asking spiritual questions. I say the same ones all the time because it's just easy. Hey, how can I pray for you? It's one of the spiritual questions you can ask. Another one is, hey, what's God doing in your life right now? It makes it easy. And you want to share it with people. I'm amazed that we're so timid about someone that we claim to save us from damnation. I'm amazed that we're so timid about letting people know that God sent his son to save us if we really believe what he did. I'm amazed that we would be scared to say, Jesus is my king. Not too long ago, I'm playing paintball with some of the, the, the high schoolers as I'm going up to Lake Ann, they're playing paintball. And when people would get hit, they'd jump up, throw their hands, and like, I'm hit, I'm hit, I'm hit, I'm hit. And they're wanting to make sure everybody saw it. Why? Because they didn't want to get hit again. God, I wish we would be so enthusiastic to make sure that we would share our faith like that. Just jump up and say, I know Jesus, I know Jesus. I have no comprehension why we're not more excited to tell other people about Jesus. It's the reason he wept when he came over the city because he knew that the people didn't get it. He knew that the people didn't get it. Even the ones waving the branches five days later are calling out, crucify him. He knew that the people didn't get it. So he's weeping. I think today is the praise team is going to come out. It, wow. I, we need to get it. We need to get it. We need to embrace our faith. We need to, to nurture our faith. We need to share our faith. Jesus knew that they were more, they just wanted, they wanted a helper, right? They just wanted somebody to come and help them. And 
And he is our helper. I'm not saying he's not, but I'm telling you this. He's far more than your helper. He is Savior. That's what Hosanna means, save us. And so when you cry out, Hosanna, you're called, save me. You can live life the way you want to live life. Go ahead, do your own thing. And when you die, you're going to be slaughtered just like the rest of them because you've denied, you haven't done anything with your faith. But I'm eager to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. He says it Luke chapter 19. And he gives even more. Guys, here's, here's the reason for the, Here's what God desires. It's very simple. God blesses us immensely. And by the way, he doesn't owe you anything more than what he's already done for you in the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. He blesses us so that we turn around, and as a result of that, what do we do? We worship him. We give praise and adoration to him. May that be our response today. Let's stand together and sing. God, I come before you, and I just pray, Lord, that we would declare your greatness, that we would declare your goodness at all times. Thank you for saving us.